Yes. It is good to be with you. It has been a little while, and so thank you, as always, for not telling Tim to not allow me back up here. So I like to get that out of the way. Uh, I was, it's been a busy summer. We have a lot of people out traveling, um, although I say this uh, every time before I teach anywhere, I always dream about it sometime in the week leading up to it, and it hadn't happened all week until last night, and then I was here. There was like 12 of you here. We had tables in the room. Most of you were facing the other way. Uh, Steven said, you can take the last song. And I was like, no, I can't. And he goes, I, and he goes, I believe in you. <laughs> Thanks, Steven. Uh, not for me. It was a mess. So the fact that there's a few of you in here uh, is we're already off to a good start. Uh, but yeah, it's been a busy summer. Uh, people are traveling, so it's good to see you here. We just got back from a little trip. It's good. Oklahoma City Public Schools starts in like a couple weeks, right? That's awful. That's awful. I haven't been in school a long time, and I'm still really happy about that. So, um, yeah, I was getting ready uh, for this week and thinking about everything that goes into it, and I practice this a lot. So, like, by the time I get up here, this is about the sixth or seventh time I've gone through this because I uh, like to just envision it and see how it's going to be and allows me some room. So I was getting ready, and I I used to be able to get dressed in, like, 90 seconds and out the door. And as I've gotten older, it's much more difficult. I finally th- realized, who am I kidding, and just started shaving my head. And, um, and so now I don't just get to get up and throw a hat on. I have to, like, you know, get the clippers out and cut my hair, because who am I kidding? And so I was getting that, and I was, like, practicing going over this. And I have to, like, moisturize my face as I've gotten older, which is a new thing to me. I didn't know I had to do this. And my wife so lovely came up to me a few weeks ago, and she's like, your face. And I was like, what? And she goes, moisturize your face. And I was like, what do you, I have a beard. This is why I don't, she's like, you don't understand the way you look. And I was like, <laughs> she goes, I'm embarrassed. She goes, I, I want, don't want people walking away being like, that guy has such dry skin. I said, that's never going to happen. She was like, why? I said, they're never getting past the eye. I, she's like, but I don't want, I was like, no one's ever walking away. I'm like, did you see that guy's dry skin? All they're saying is, what's up with that guy's eye? That's the, it's never going to happen. So just the whole process of getting here today is getting a little bit longer, but I was practicing thinking about these things and thinking about what I was going to say. So I'm going through, I'm moisturizing my face, sweetheart, and I'm cutting my hair and I'm, I'm practicing. I'm going to get up and say, hey, good morning, church. How are you? And all these things. And I thought about Uh, It's good to see you this morning. And I had this moment while I was moisturizing my face where I was like, why is it good to be here? And and this is nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but I just had this moment like, why am I here today? Like, why am I at church this morning? What are you doing here? And I just had this moment like, sometimes it's good to remember what you're doing here. You ever had those moments where you're just like, why am I here? And so I started thinking about why, why is Caleb here this morning? Other than the fact that I've been asked to do this. Let's remove this part of it. Why am I up here? I came about three or four reasons. And the first one is the fact that the Bible says, let us continue meeting together, a summer in the habit of doing. That's why we go to church. See, that, that, that verse is so powerful because there are some that believe in God that aren't in the habit of meeting together. And this is better than that. And so there are those people, there's a lot of people who put their faith and trust in God that don't come to church. And they say things like, why is it important to come to church? Here's your answer. Let us continue meeting together, a summer in the habit of doing. This is a good thing to do to gather together believers. I'm here for that reason. I'm here because I have children, and I want them to grow up with the knowledge of who God is. I want them to know who he is, how much he loves them. I want that in their brain all the time. My daughter loves to sing the songs and give me the verses. I'm so thankful to Leslie and everyone in the, in the children's ministry that pour into my children. That's why I'm here, because she loves to be here. I'm here because 
of Tim and Christy. I followed him to this church. I've, he was my student pastor. Christy was student pastor. They led me and have poured into me and my wife's life selflessly for years. And believe it or not, that wasn't easy sometimes. I wasn't the most awesome 15-year-old, I'm sure. Um, I was probably you know, yelling at, you know, being crazy, voice cracking, and Tim had to deal with me. And then he was my student pastor. He became my mentor and my friend. And then he was my boss. He hired me. And then two years later, he quit and he left, and he was just my friend again. And then he hired me again, he was my boss, and two years later, he quit. So if Tim ever quits, just look and see where Caleb is. I'm probably very close behind him, the reason he's left. So, um, but I'm here because of them, and, the, and I believe in them. And the fourth reason I'm here at this church, and I hope a reason you're here, is because of you all. Um, I love to come and see you all. It is a joy to be at a place because we are a church that says the sentence that we want to do things that matter. And it's something about walking into a building surrounded by people and seeing friends of mine, seeing Joel and Greg and Dustin when I walk in and seeing Matt and seeing Ryan and Stephen and seeing my friends throughout here and knowing that we, seeing Brandon and people that I've known for a long time and saying, we are a group of people, we want to do things that matter. And man, that gives me life. That's why I'm here this morning. And sometimes it's good to remember that, you know, just because it's Sunday morning, I get the kids ready, I get the family ready, and get to church and plan out where I'm going to go to lunch. And sometimes it's good to kind of like step back, turn around, and remember, what are you doing here this morning? There are other places to be, but you know what? This is better than those things. This is better. I mean, that's why they write in this glorious book that better is one day in your courts, Lord Jesus, than a thousand days elsewhere. Isn't it good to be in the presence of the Lord this morning? It's good to remember that. We're having a series, like Tim said, we're in week nine talking about Jesus, something you won't hear at any other church probably. <laughs> no, um, uh, <laughs> we're in our ninth week of the series on Jesus, and we've been looking at a lot of different things about him and exploring the, uh, who he was and things that he did. We looked at some encounters, and I, I love some of the things we talked about that time after Jesus uh, was resurrected and looking at things. I want to encourage you, especially as it's summer, and I've missed a couple of weeks, um, to hop on the podcast and listen uh, to the threads that have gone th through this series. It's been a really incredible thing to do. I want to encourage you to do that and to listen. Um, and just last week, we talked about the ability to say yes and no. And I was gone last week, and I was listening to that. And I say this to Tim like every week. I'm like, how did, where did that come from? Like, how did, where did that even come from? That's crazy. Um, the value of relationships and, and what you can say yes to and what you can say no to. We talked about Jesus when he encounters Mary and Martha. You know, the story that there are, there are things that are good and there are things that are better. And what does it look like to say yes to the things that are better to those things. We've looked at all sorts of things. We've looked at Lazarus. Mike, got up here and he talked about Lazarus. What an um, unbelievable message that was, man, just to see the things that Jesus did in this unbelievable story. Like if I were just to say, you know, hey, there was once a dead guy and then he wasn't. Like that's crazy in and of itself. And so just the idea to dive into that story and the encounter of Jesus. And then this morning, we're gonna look, oh, and we also talked about the angry Jesus, which is like one of my favorite things that we talked about. Cause I always picture Jesus as like, I don't know, um, that one right there who's, he's like giving the peace sign almost like Jesus. But then there's like, the other Jesuses that we got to talk about. Like, ah, it's been an awesome series. You need to dive in and listen to it. And I'm excited to be a part of it now. We're going to be in John chapter five. Are you ready to go? You ready? John chapter five. Let's pray and get into it, shall we? Lord Jesus, I pray for this time that you would do what you do, that you would move wildly through this room. Yeah, we pray for our, our church, for one another. I thank you that we're here for whatever reason that we feel like we should be here. God, we thank you that we are here. May we be reminded why we're here. 
that it is good to meet together with one another, that it is good to be challenged by one another, to do things that matter, to live life with friends, that there are leaders and pastors of this church through Tim and Christy and Micah and Sonny that care about us, that pray for us, that are willing to pour their lives into us. Lord, that's why we gather together because better it is to be with you than anywhere else, Jesus. It is so much better to be in your presence. We thank you. We ask that you move well this morning. I pray that we walk out of this room a little bit differently than the way we walked in. It's in your name we pray, amen. John chapter five, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's the healing at the pool of Bethesda. Okay, so it's John 5, verse 1. Let's just roll right into it, shall we? 5, verse 1. I'm going to read from the NIV, in case you're wondering. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Sometime later, Jesus had been doing some incredible things. He'd been revealing himself to the Samaritans. He healed an official son. He's been doing some crazy, amazing things. Crowds are following him. He's got this big gathering around him at this point in his ministry. Everyone knows who he is and where he's going. He's being followed by multitudes of people saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's starting to do crazy things and get a following. Now, sometimes later, he went to, Jesus, uh, to Jerusalem during one of the feasts. We're not sure which feast it was. It's not specified in this text. It's one of the, probably the big three where attendance was required. It was either Passover or Pentecost or Purim, one of the ones that everyone gathered for. Verse two, now there in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Others may say porches. Uh, this is just kind of cool for you. I like to visualize things. Um, and so it's this sheep gate where they actually brought the sheep during the feast so they could, you know, the sheep. And so gather near the sheep and there's these pools near the sheep gate and there's uh, five covered porches. There's actually a church that's a built at this spot now, as there is all over the Holy Land. They've built churches everywhere to tell you where they think things happened. Seems like a really good use of money. Um, anyways, they've built churches there, and there's five uh, markings where there would have been porches, and there's a big uh, in stone and in glass uh, picture of this story. You know, kind of cool. Maybe you don't care. Verse 3. Okay. There's a pool, but that's the, uh, verse 3. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. So this is the scene. There's a big pool near this big gate, and around this pool of water is a bunch of people who are blind, who are lame, who are paralyzed. Um, one of my heroes of the faith is uh, Dr. J. Vern McGee, and uh, I was listening to him teach on this a while ago, and he went up to a church in, he was a pastor at a church in California and went to a children's hospital in California filled with children who were blind, who were lame, who were paralyzed. This was a long time ago. There's kids in iron lungs. It was filled with children whose parents couldn't take care of them. So they were sent to live at this hospital until they passed away. And Dr. McGee went up to teach a message. And a six-year-old, five, six-year-old gets up at the beginning of the service and recites John chapter five in its entirety. Boom, the whole thing however many verses there are, uh, you know, a lot. He gets sights it, and he did it almost perfect, 99.9% .9 perfect. He made one mistake, and nobody corrected the child, obviously, and no one corrected him because of the mistake that he made. He gets to verse 3, and he says, and it says, you know, there's five colored colonnades, and here a great number of really cool people were lying around. How cool is that? You see, God reveals himself this story very differently to some people than he's going to reveal himself to you. You see, this story 
was all of those children's favorite story because they were the lime, the, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And all of a sudden, what Jesus did here means a lot more than us who read passages in passing. It also tells us about the way we label and look at people, right? They're not just blind. They're not just paralyzed. I think of my niece. I have a niece named Abigail. She has autism. You know what Abigail is? People ask me, what's Abby like? You know what Abby is? She's not autistic. She's incredible. She's incredible. I'm telling you, she can, she can read. She can interact. And you know what? Sometimes talking to other people is very hard for Abby. And sometimes being in crowds is very hard, and sitting still is hard for Abby. But you know what? She's not. She's not a child with autism. She's an incredible, incredible person. And God reveals himself to her and through her differently than he does me. And glory to God because of that. She's not broken. These people were not broken. God was about to, God's about to do something in this story that we can't understand until we actually can put ourselves right there and say, God's gonna reveal himself differently to different people who are experiencing different things. And that's incredible. And that's who these people are. I think it's such a cool example. There's a bunch of really cool people lying around this pool. I want that to be the image as we dive into the story. Okay, uh, verse four. So some of your Bibles will have verse four. Some versions have it, some don't. It is an explanation as to why they were laying by the pool. Verse four says they were gathered around. And the reason they're all lying around this pool in Bethesda is they believed from time to time the water would begin to bubble up and to begin to stir. And they were lying there because they believed that it was an angel that would come down and touch the water And when the angel touched the water, the first person to get into the pool would be healed of whatever it is they were suffering from. And so people would gather, this huge crowd of people would gather just waiting for the water to move, waiting for the water to move. And when it would move, the first person would get in, would be healed, and then everyone else would wait till the water would move again. And this would usually happen around the feast. So that's why everyone is gathered around this pool. Look at verse five. One who had been an invalid... For 38 years, there's somebody who had been lying by this pool for 38 years. Now, that is a long time. I'm 30 years old. That is eight years longer than I have been alive, that this person had been lying by this pool hoping to get in. So I imagine, you know, he was helped there by some friends, and you're waiting for the water to move for like a day, and it doesn't. I mean, how long have you sat anywhere in the past five years without checking your phone for anything? Like, Is that not the longest 30 minutes of your life? Like, oh my goodness, there have been so many tweets the past 30 minutes. Like, like we can't, like that time feels forever, an hour. You know, two days go by, he's laying by this pool. A month goes by, he's waiting for the water. And then maybe the water stirs and somebody else gets in in front of him. So he's like, all right, gotta wait. And then a year goes by. Two years, five, 10 years goes by. 15 years, 20, 25 30, 35 years, 36, 37, 38 years. This guy's been lying beside this pool, hoping that the water may stir and that there's a chance he could get in and be made well. This is a sad, sad instance in scripture. Verse six says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Now, Jesus says a lot of brilliant things in the Bible. This is one I question. I'm sure there's a word that's not included in this man's response. (laughs) 38 years. Yeah, we got it. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) 
38 years, this guy's lying, looking at the water, because he can't look away, because he might miss it. So focusing on the water for 38 years. And Jesus walks up behind him, and he goes, do you want to get better? And he's like, no, I just really want to get tan. Like, I, I enjoy the people watching. Do you want to get well? Like, what kind of question is this? What is he, the way Jesus thought is different. You know, the way he solved problems is different. The way he looks at you is different than the way you look at yourself. The way he looks at that person that you really love is different than the way you look at them. The way he looks at that person that you can't stand is very different than the way you look at them. The way he looks at that uh, political figure you didn't vote for, he looks at them very differently than you do. He looks at things different. He asks questions that you wouldn't even consider. And this is what he does here. He says, do you want to get better? Verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, if there's a sad verse in the Bible, it's John chapter 5, verse 7. I call this the hopeless hope. A man who had hope enough to lie by the pool, knowing that this is the source that can make him better. So he had hope enough there, but was utterly hopeless that when face to face with, not mind you, Jesus, but with somebody who asked him, do you want to get well? His answer was, I can't. I can't. Someone is saying, do you want help to get better? And he goes, I can't. Uh, every time the water stirs, someone is able to get in. Like, I can't. My friends that were supposed to help me, they left 37 years, 11 months, three weeks, and five days ago. They had other things to do. I can't. This hopelessness of this man who at once was filled with such hope, it said, go lay me by this pool. People are being healed in it. For 40 years at least, so, you know, 50 years. Who knows how long this people have been healed. Lay me by the pool. And Jesus looks at him and says, do you want to get made better? And he can't. He says, I can't. And you know, I was thinking about this and I've taught this several times and I've never actually thought of it this way and I was really studying it this week and I was like, you know, we look at this guy and be like, how can you feel that hopeless sitting face to face with Jesus who's been doing all these things? And then I said, you know, it's not any different than any of us. How many of you have ever been walking through something in your life where you felt hopeless and you've experienced that feeling while sitting in church? We're like, how can this guy feel this way? He's face to face with Jesus himself and yet he feels hopeless because there are many of you in this room that are experiencing something in your life right now where you don't know how God's gonna fix it or how anything can fix it. We're face to face. We're in a beacon, like we call the church a beacon of hope and they're filled with people who are experiencing situations where they feel hopeless. You see, we're a lot more like this guy than we think. That situation going on with your kids, a situation going on with your spouse with your ex-spouse that you feel like what is going on you feel hopeless in it a situation at work how are you going to pay for your bills how am I going to make this decision how is God going to take care of me when I'm here I feel completely hopeless sitting in a church where God where two or more gathered God's right here and that doesn't change the way you feel and me just saying you should have hope and asking if you want to get made better that doesn't fix anything and it's foolish of me to say here you want to get made well and you go yes and expect everything to be better See, we got to understand the way we read the Bible, we are more like these people than we think. I have sat in church service after church service after church service and felt completely hopeless with the situation in my life. Face to face with the living, breathing God who says, do you want to be made well? Yes, but 
man, I don't feel like that's possible right now. We're just like this guy. We're just like him. Verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Jesus leaves no room for anything else. No room. I love it. He's like, I can't. No one is there to help me in the water. And he's like, I don't need no stinking water. Get up. Pick up your mat now. Look at it. It says, is there, where is it up there? Get up, exclamation point. I imagine Jesus like bending down, talking to this guy, right? And, and he's sitting there and he's like, you know, I can't. No one's here to help me in the pool. And Jesus isn't like, well, then get up, kind sir. <laughs> Grab your mat and let's skip out of here. He says, I can't. No one's there to help me in the water. And Jesus is like, ha, get up. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Come on, let's go. No more of this hopelessness. I came here to defeat all of it. Your answer is why I had to come. Get up. Pick up your mat now. I love it. Verse 9. At once, when someone yells at you, you do it. I'm a football coach, and I love yelling at my guys. Like, I'm really, really mad at them. They don't know why. They do exactly what I say. It's hilarious. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Yeah, you bet he did. I wonder where he went. He picked up his mat. I wonder if he goes like, hey, guys, it's been a while. (laughs) You remember he laid you by the pool 37 years, years, 11 months, three weeks, and five days ago? Well, I just got better. (laughs) It's good to see you. Do you have any leftovers? Like, I wonder. He gets up and he walks. Of course he did. Instantly, he was cured. At the name and the words of Jesus, he's cured. And he walks away. Second part of verse 9, he says, that once he picked up, he's, he's cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this p- took place was the Sabbath, and here's why we can roll our eyes. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Like, come, this is really in the Bible. Like, when you deal with difficult people, know they are in a long lineage of difficult people. like, hey, what's going on? We recognize you. We've been coming to this feast, three feasts a year, every year for 38 years. You've been lying there. Do you know that it's Saturday? He's like, you bet I do. I sure do. You think I'm worried about carrying my mat on Saturday, that it's going to send me to hell? I just left hell. You think I'm really worried about what you think that's going to do? It's a serious black moment. He did his waiting. That's a Harry Potter joke. Um, Like, do you not understand? 38 years I've been sitting here, and you're mad that I'm carrying my mat on a Saturday. He's like, there's nothing that could stop me. I've been living in hell for 38 years, living in it. This is great. It just gets better. I love people, but goodness. It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat, verse 11. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Like, listen, none of you have ever said that. The guy said, I made you well, pick up your mat and walk. So you know what I did? I grabbed my mat, folded it up, and I walked out of there. I skipped and jumped, clicked my heels. There's no place like home. Like, I'm getting out of here. He picked up his mat and he walked. Verse 12, so they asked him, this is hilarious. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? There's a lot of names for Jesus. 
And there's a lot of, if I'm standing up here talking to you right now and Jesus walked in the back, there's a lot of things I'd probably say and call him. Um, but I'm probably not going to like, who is that fella? <laughs> Who's the fella that made you well? Oh, English, you're funny. Verse 13, the man who, has he- who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Another way to read this is, hey, you're better. Go do something that matters. That's the way to read that. It's a line that we say in this church a lot. Tim's wrote about it, talks about it. Hey, you know what your biggest fear shouldn't be? Is being a good per- or becoming a bad person. It should be becoming a good person or have something God do something in your life and then never actually doing anything that matters. That's the something worse. Don't waste your time. You laid by the pool long enough. Go do something that matters. You want to experience the Lord? God does something in your life. God has done something in your life. I mean, every single one of you, I said right now, think of something that God did in your life. You got something. Go do something that matters. Go do something that matters. It's never what you did that defines you. It's how you respond to what you did that determines the type of men and women we are. It's how we respond. Let's do things that matter. That's how we say that so much of this church. At least I think it is. It's your church, Tim. You can tell me if I'm wrong. Verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, this is really important. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Come on. End of the story. That's how the story ends. Because it was Saturday, we have a problem. You see, again, this is not so different than we are. We are like the man by the pool, and we are like these people. We get so caught up in our traditions and the way we want things done that we actually miss out on what God is trying to do. We get so caught up. And this is the church world to a T. We have to do things this way. You have to sing these songs and we have to be out of a book with a number on it. There has to be a lot of people on stage singing at me. And that's great. Do your thing, man. But that's not going to come at the expense of what God wants to do. You got to go to church Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. And if you miss one, uh, 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 hey, that's great. You want to do that? You do you. But does not come at the expense of what God wants to do in and through you and what God is doing all around us. The people get so caught up as if the Bible in here says, blessed is he who is most correct. It's not in the book. The goal is not perfect doctrine. The goal is advancing the kingdom. That's the goal. We're never going to get everything right. I can't wait to get to heaven and find out everything I'm wrong about. It's most. Most. I don't for a second think I had John chapter five mostly figured out. That's foolish. Foolish. And yet we get so caught up on, well, here's what this word, and here's what this word. Dude, look around. God's doing things. You wouldn't believe it even if he told you. Be a part of it or get out of my way. I don't have time for this. And we shouldn't either because we want to do things that matter here. That's what we're called to do. Two things I want to talk about, and then we're done. One of the, I love two things about the story, a lot of things, but two I want to talk about. In almost every encounter with Jesus, almost every single one, people are calling out to Jesus, crying out for help. I mean, just look at some of the stories we've talked about. I mean, I'm, next week we're going to talk about a blind man, and he cries out to Jesus, and then he cries, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't hear him, so he cries out, and the word is like a primal scream from his innermost being to get Jesus' attention. He screams, Lord, have mercy on me. He cries out to Jesus, right? 
We look at Lazarus, right? People, Micah just talked about this a few weeks ago. They sent for Jesus before Lazarus died. Say, Jesus, come quick, come quick, come quick. And then after he died, they show up and they run and they meet Jesus. Like they're calling out to Jesus everywhere he goes. The 10 lepers who have been cast out of their city, they run and meet Jesus out on the road and say, heal us, make us better. Their demon possessed man who's been controlling like these five cities runs and the demons fall on their knees in front of Jesus and say, are you here to torture us before the appointed time? Jesus, please, please, please. People, uh, parents throughout scripture come out, just the story before this, they say, my child is dying, my child is sick. They're running to Jesus. They're grabbing his cloak, okay? They literally cut a hole in a roof to get people to the feet of Jesus. Everywhere you go, people are calling out to Jesus and he's hearing them, but not in this story. No one even notices he's there. This is one of these few unique moments that nobody calls out and asks for Jesus' help. No one even noticed he's there. They're all staring at the water and Jesus walks up behind and says, hey, see, who started this conversation? Jesus. He walks up and says, sir, would you like to be made well? When Jesus tells parables about someone who flips furniture upside down because they lost one coin, and he says things like, there are 100 sheep, and if one of them is lost, I will go after that one. I'll leave the other 99. Do you know why you can believe him? because of John chapter five. You can believe that he watches you. I've said this last time I was up here and I wanna say it again. If you're in this room and you haven't thought about God much this week, you haven't given him much thought, much anything, or maybe you're in this room, you haven't given God much thought in a long time. Maybe you know he's there, but you haven't actually thought about God. Can you hear me say something? Hear me say this. God's been thinking about you all week. He can't get you out of his mind. He is obsessed with you. He is consumed with you. He sees you, he has you, he's for you. And whatever kind of junk you brought in this room, you're not experiencing it alone. You're not. He's right behind you. God sees you, he has you, he's for you. He'll leave the 99, he'll flip the furniture over looking for the coin. There's nothing that could get in his way to get to you. He's been thinking about you all week long. He's for you. He sees you, he has you. Even when you don't call out to him, he's obsessed and consumed with you. That's good news, church. One of my favorite things about the story is everyone's staring at the water. <laughs> They're staring at the water and Jesus is behind them. They're staring at the water because the water is going to give them what they need to make them better. And Jesus is right behind them. And I'm like, I'm like, isn't that so crazy? And then I think of my life. Five, six years ago, so six years, I quit my job. I was working at a church and I uh, wasn't supposed to work there anymore. And so I left. And um, it was a hard decision. It was not fun. It was awful. And I was bitter and I was angry. I was upset. I didn't know how to handle it other than that my, I was going to let my pride win. I allowed my pride that was already there to just swell up and say, okay, we're gonna show them. It's time to show them. And people would say, in, in a good natured spirit, they would be like, Caleb, you're gonna look back and you're gonna tell the story someday. And you're gonna, people are gonna see what God did through you. And I was like, you bet you're right I am. You're right I am. I'm gonna tell everyone. And you see why that didn't work? There was my pride, big, 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 big pride. I was like, you're right, I'm gonna be Joseph. Like, that was my life. 
I was 25 years old. Ugh, so young. <laughs> and then if, like two months later, I turned down like one job, and then I applied for 200 more and just got told, told no. Nobody wanted me. And um, started coming to this little church that I was meeting in the Civic Center at the time. And my wife was starting a business. So I quit my job. She had started real estate, had sold two homes, hadn't got paid for any of them. Um, so we were doing really well, had a brand new baby. <laughs> uh, the food stamps weren't enough. So we moved in with my parents at home, upstairs. Really cool moment, let me tell you. 25 year old with a baby and a wife, we move upstairs with my folks so we can start a business. And, and everyone's telling me, you're gonna look back and you're gonna tell the story. You're gonna tell the story. And I'm, so I'm like, yes, I am. I'm staring at the water, waiting for it to bubble up so I can step in and I can step out, healed, renewed, a new man, and I'm going to show everyone. Look what God's doing. And you know what happened? Nothing for three years. I sat staring at the water. And you know what I became? More bitter, more angry, more distant. And that faded and I just became hurt closed and anxious and fearful I felt like a failure and I'm just staring at the water and then my wife um, we had um, moved out and she came home one day and said I've been asked to speak um, to a group of realtors um, about how I got here how this happened tell our story so we sat down and we began writing out things that had happened and I had my Bethesda moment. A unbelievable yet humiliating moment where God spoke very clearly and said, Caleb, what if Casey gets to tell this story? And you never do. Am I still faithful then? And it was this moment where I was like, yeah, Casey's gonna tell the story. I love my wife. I was so busy looking at the water, I didn't realize that if I just turned around, I would see God providing for every need I had through her. See, in that three years, she had started to build a business. We hired a couple people. I was able to quit my part-time job to try to get us food. People were coming and asking her, how are you doing this? And she, you know what her answer was? Every time, even this day, the Lord, I don't know. I'm not good enough telling us the Lord. I saw us be able to purchase a home, move out of my folks' house. We had health insurance. I had a daughter who was growing, and I found out I had a son on the way. And I'm staring at the water, waiting for God to do something through me, when all I needed to do was turn around and see that he's doing something for me through her. But so many of us are staring at the water, trying to see, God, what are you going to do for me? And the answer to everything that you're walking through is behind you but you gotta turn around and look. But we're staring at the water because we want it our way. We want it a, a specific season, right? I want it through a specific voice. I want it through a political figure, a celebrity to tell me what I need to do and what to believe. I want it through a book or a podcast. And Jesus, the answer is right behind you. And we're looking for the water to stir and there's nothing in there. He's right behind you. And that's what's so baffling about the story 
is that they're staring at the water, staring at the water, and Jesus is behind them. You're wondering what's going on. And he's like, I gotta get made better, I gotta get made better. And behind you, they're, they're waiting for water. If they leave, an angel can touch and make things better. And Jesus behind them, he's like, hey, do you know what my name is? Lord of Lords. That's my name, King of Kings. You wanna be made well? Why are you waiting for an angel? They're mine. You're sitting there and you're wondering what's next for your life. I mean, how many of you out there are trying to make plans for your future life and you're worried and you're staring at the water? God, give me an answer and a sign for my prayers. Do you know what his name is? I'm Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Whatever you're doing next, I got it. That's my name. Quit looking at the water. You're sitting there and you're struggling in your life. You're feeling empty in your job. You want fulfillment in something that you're doing in your life. I know, I see you in here looking at me right now. Whatever you're doing in your life, you're not feeling fulfilled with it. I'm here to tell you, you know what his name is? Living water, bread of life. Let him fill you up today. Stop trying to do it yourself. Quit looking at the water. He's the bread of life. You feel stumped in your life, like nothing is moving and nothing is happening. You're not getting any growth. Don't worry, you're just a branch. He's the vine. You're just a sheep. He's the shepherd. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You feel like there's things out to get you. The world is crumbling around you. You feel scared and worried. Don't worry about that. He's the lion of Judah. Turn around. He's the lion of Judah. He's for you. You feel scared. He's a rock and a fortress. He's a prince of peace. You feel abandoned and alone. His name is Abba, Father. You need someone to talk to. His name is Wonderful counselor. His name is Emmanuel. He is the day spring. He is the master. He is the high priest. He is a servant. He's a redeemer. He's the savior. He's the anchor. He's the resurrection and the life. Turn around. Turn around. We don't have to look at the water anymore. He's right beside you. And he is for you. He is for you. Do you remember that? Church, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to look at the water anymore. Every single person in this room is walking through something. And guess what? God's got a name for that. He's got a name for whatever you're walking through. He's the beginning and the end. He's got a name for it. You don't have to look at the water anymore. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to sing, and while we sing, I'm gonna have some names of God up on the screen. And I believe that everyone in here, we need God to be some, one of those names to us right now. That's what I believe. And I tried to write them all out. It was six pages front and back in 12 point font, didn't work. So I had to pick some, but he has many more. And I want us to take some time as we reflect this morning and have our own encounter with Jesus, our own moment where Jesus is saying, hey, I see you. Do you want to be made well? Just turn around. I am all of these things to you. And our altar is going to be open. And our prayer team is going to be doing it. I'm going to invite you to come down and say, Jesus, I need you to be this to me today. I need you to be my hope today, my peace today, my lion of Judah today. I need you to be my savior today, my redeemer. I need you to be my hope, my rock, my fortress. I need you to be the bread of life to fill me up. I need you to be the vine. I need you to grow me today. I wanna invite you to, as we sing, to reflect on these and our altar is open to come and lay yourself down and leave the pool behind you and turn to the face of Jesus who is saying, 
I'm here to make you well. And then church, we're gonna get off our knees, we're gonna get up and we're gonna take our mat and we're gonna walk and we're gonna do something that matters. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is alive and well. And your name is better than every name. That every good thing comes from you. That everything that we are personally experiencing can be summed up by one of your great, unbelievably powerful names. That you encompass all of us. That whatever it is we're walking through, you got a name for that. That you have us. That you are a good, good Father, an almighty God, a loving and merciful Savior. I pray that we get on our knees this morning and then pick up our mats and walk out because we recognize that in our need of you, you got a name for that.